Chapter 8 of The Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mind the Paint Girl by Lewis Tracy. Chapter 8 Harmonies and Some Discords. The tousle headed Maud came in with a pair of silk slippers and von rettenmeyer who would never be anything but an overgrown boy rushed at her and grabbed them before she was aware of his intent permit me he said maud slapped his arm as if he were an impetuous milkman now baron she giggled and there was quite a little struggle between them until he ran her out of the room then he cried holding the capture triumphantly aloft gentlemen let us pay homage to beauty Follow me, all of you, Zam, Vincent, Robert, Nigo, Eddie, line up. Jays deliberately seated himself at a distance, and Farncombe, who was decidedly embarrassed, hung back. But the others obeyed joyously. Jimmy Birch clapped her hands with appreciation, and Mrs. Upjohn, who was pouring out the tea, laughed herself into a fit of coughing. Von Rettenmeyer, putting a hand to his mouth, imitated a brass band with drum effects. Then, changing to the staccato commands of a German drill instructor, he shouted, Links, recht, links, recht, quick marge, and headed the procession round the room. Baron, you great baby, cried Lily, blushing scarlet at the mock ceremony proposed in her honor. Roper, seeing that the young Viscount was not in the queue, cried gleefully, "'Come along, Farncombe!' And Miss Birch encouraged him with a dig in the ribs, whereupon he, too, joined in the revel. Von Rettenmeyer, thoroughly in his element when engaged in this sort of nonsense, waved the slippers in air and began to sing in a rich, full baritone, "'Weeb was ist in aller Welt!' Dear and Shanghai gleich gestellt, Reisem flossen, wonder hold, Pearl de Schapfang, herzen gold, Tags gedanken, Traum de Nacht, Schweben um dich, Sus, sagt, Venus, seinen machen but, Der den Sklav, Dienstbereit. The following is a free translation. Woman, earth holds not more dear, you alone can be your peer. Charming, graceful, in full measure, rarest pearl, heart's fondest treasure. My waking thoughts, my dreams by night, hover round you, vision bright. Venus, bid me but to stay, your slave forever and a day. He timed the promenade so adroitly that when the end of his song was reached, he was on one knee before Lily. She, entering laughingly into the frolic, extended her left foot, and he kissed her instep before adjusting the slipper, being rewarded with a light box on the ears. He made way for Di Castro, handing him the remaining slipper, and the literary celebrity performed the same rite with much empressement whereupon Lily dexterously upset his balance. Bland and Roper perforce contented themselves by kissing her instep, but when the girl found Farncombe looking at her hesitatingly, she raised her eyes to his in a distinctly self-conscious way and withdrew her foot. No, no, she murmured, shaking her head decisively, don't you be silly like the others. Tea, 
cried Mrs. Upjohn loudly. Ma might be tactless enough in speech, but being a woman, she had a sharp eye where flirtation was concerned. Moreover, she was rather alarmed by the attitude Jays had seen fit to adopt, and her timely interruption scattered the group of laughing men. Gladys had brought in a stand containing cakes and other delicacies, and Roper seized it, strutting around the room and mimicking the voice of a theatre attendant. Ices, he chanted, sweets or chocolates, coffee, and full piano score of the opera. But Mrs. Upjohn was still watching Jays furtively. Captain, she said, ain't you going to have any tea? No, thank you, Mrs. Upjohn, he replied affecting to examine some present which was claiming his attention. Lily, blissfully unaware of this morose attitude on Jay's part, made room for Farncombe by her side on the settee. "'You have seen our show at the Pandora a good many times,' she said, smiling at him. Twenty-three, he replied instantly. "'Not really!' and her eyebrows arched with astonishment. "'Yes, I haven't missed a night this week and last.' There was no mistaking the admiration in his eyes, so she turned lightly to a new topic. "'You are in the guards, are you not?' she asked. "'Yes, the grenadiers.' "'Ah,' she said smilingly, "'you'll never do a braver deed than enduring our antics at the Pandora twenty-three times.' "'Oh, I like you better every time I see you, Miss Paradell,' he ventured to say. "'Good gracious! I had no idea I was so versatile!' she cried." But, er, uh, I do not mean in the character you assume on the stage. I go to the Pandora only to watch you. I fancy somehow that you're just yourself when you are singing and dancing. There is no make-believe about you. I, I'm a bad hand at explaining myself, but... He halted confusedly, and Lily was aware that she, too, felt absurdly tongue-tied. Miss Birch suddenly choked. Her mouth was full of cake, and she was trying to laugh. Boys, she cried, appealing with a gesture for time to regain her breath. Wait a minute. I've swallowed some of the Baron's German. There, it's gone down with a large raisin. But honestly, boys, no rot. I want to propose a toast. And she raised her teacup. Here's a jolly good health to Lily. She's a white woman, Lily is. The staunchest, truest pal when she takes a liking. Jimmy's voice failed her again, though not because of cake on this occasion, and Mrs. Upjohn, unexpectedly yielding to emotion, rose and embraced her daughter. "'And the best girl breathin!' she cried tremulously. "'Have any of you noticed the dress I'm wearin' this afternoon? Fifteen guineas it's cost her. Madame Godolphin made it, and I ought to go with it. Oh, sweet!' The good lady, deaf to Lily's plaintive, "'Hush, mother!' paraded before them, showing off the points of her gown. But Jimmy Birch came to the rescue by lifting her teacup again. "'Here's to Lily, in a cup of tea!' she cried. The toast was honoured with enthusiasm, and Lily murmured brokenly that she thanked them from the bottom of her heart. Jimmy Birch, however, was strung up to an intense pitch of excitement, and meant to have her say willy-nilly. "'By Jove!' she went on. "'Lil saved me once from going home to a cheap lodging and taking a dose of rat-killer.' "'A pity, a great pity,' murmured von Rettenmeyer, taking care to be well out of range. "'I'll attend to you presently, Baron,' said Miss Birch. 
but listen all of you it was my first morning at the pandora they'd had me up from harrogate in a hurry to take gwenny harker's place i'd been playing her part in the number two company in the country and she'd left em in a hole to get married to a stupid lord she broke off to smile sweetly at farncombe sorry she cried i forgot you were one a lord i mean i was only to have one rehearsal and oh didn't they treat me abominably eva shafto was late and we were all hanging about on the stage waiting for her i've never felt so cold in my life nor so lonely not a word of welcome not a nod from a single soul simply a blank stare occasionally from a haughty beauty with a curled lip and at last when i was on the point of howling i became conscious that somebody was watching me a tall pretty thing in a lavender frock i caught her eye and she came straight over and sat down beside me shaky she said a corpse said i and she quietly took my hand and held it till eva shafto condescended to stroll in when i got up i asked her who she was oh my god i said i'll never forget your kindness why of course you're the mind the paint girl the tremulous little speech might almost have been a stage cue roper de castro and von rettenmeyer instantly began singing the famous chorus and vincent bland rushed to the piano and thumped out the air there were tears in lily's eyes for she knew just how her friend had felt on that miserable morning but almost unconsciously her body began to sway to the rhythm of the tune sing it for us lil won't you pleaded roper she stood up pressing her hands to her temples oh i couldn't it's gone she cried but bland understanding the soul of the artist played the introductory symphony and waited silently some of the men moved chairs and tables out of the way and lily began to sing i've a very charming dwelling you know where without the telling decorated in a style that's rather quaint smart and quaint when you pay the house a visit you may scrutinize or quiz it but you mustn't touch the paint brand new paint mind the paint mind the paint no matter whether maple's bills are settled or they ain't once you smear it or you scratch it it's impossible to match it so take care please of the paint of the paint the piano dashed off into a dance movement and the girl yielding to the subtle call of the music danced a few steps most gracefully while jimmy birch promptly marshalled her three supporters as a chorus and thereby added an impromptu stage setting that was very effective again the piano halted expectantly and lily sang the second verse i'm possessed of all the graces oh a perfect dream my face is it may owe to art a trifle or it mayn't hmm it mayn't and i'll cry out for assistance should you fail to keep your distance goodness gracious mind the paint mind the paint mind the paint mind the paint a girl is not a sinner just because she's not a saint but my heart shall hold you dearer you may come a little nearer if you'll only mind the paint mind the paint this time mrs upjohn sang and postured with the others bland was in the humour to carry the girl through the whole of the song but lily flung herself on to a settee and laughingly held up her hands in protest 
no more if you love me she cried no not another word i've had such a stiff day whereupon ma recollected her guardian role and assumed it with sudden energy out you go all of you out you go she cried come on said miss birch shaking hands with farncombe let's mizzle it's cruel of us to tire her so mrs upjohn tapped von rettenmeyer familiarly on the shoulder with an emphatic now then baron he bowed profoundly i'm coming he said well gone tittered jimmy birch and pulled him away still mrs upjohn maintained her dragon-like attitude you too mr de castro she cried catching sam's eye however do you think she is going to get through her work to-night de castro was rather breathless after his recent exertions quite right ma he agreed especially with a supper and a dance afterwards roper turned on him as a terrier might dash after a rabbit you damned fool he breathed de castro clapped his hand to his mouth oh he muttered nor did he mend matters in the slightest degree by glancing at jays who had heard what he said and now strode forward ponderously good-bye nico said roper uneasily and de castro's farewell was equally flurried good-bye said jays dryly with a look that spoke volumes bland talking to lily was blissfully unaware of de castro's slip ah that jingle he said pensively an echo of old times eh yes but not better times than these vin she murmured affectionately he fondled her hand for a moment no lil there are so many tunes left for you in life my dear and the monocle lost all its cynicism for the moment she would have made some impulsive reply but viscount farncombe had come to bid her farewell thank you thank you very much he said fervently it was glorious i really ought to be ashamed of myself she said seized with sudden timidity but i was carried away when i heard vincent strumming the piano it reminded me of the first time we rehearsed that song together oh i mean every word i said protested farncombe tish she cried lightly see you again soon perhaps yes yes of course roper alert now to stop any further disclosures called to him the young man looked round the room and saw that nicol was standing near the entrance to the conservatory good-bye captain jays he cried agreeably the other turned on hearing the voice good-bye he nodded with a quiet smile farncombe shook hands with mrs upjohn i've had a delightful afternoon he said really i've enjoyed myself amazingly oh we're always glad when a few folks pop in said ma though she slightly spoiled the effect of a gracious remark by adding if they don't overstay their welcome naturally good-bye and farncombe vanished hurriedly mrs upjohn meant to clear everybody out you too captain she said waiting at the door in one minute he said i want just half a dozen words with lily now you won't keep her longer persisted ma feeling that she was doing her best on behalf of the conspiracy no no said jays grimly i know she won't be home till four o'clock to-morrow morning at the earliest mrs upjohn was vanquished and went out so smythe is giving you a grand feed to-night at the theatre i hear he said watching lily rearranging various cushions in a housewifely way 
"'Yes, in the foyer,' she replied. "'And a dance, it appears.' She yawned unaffectedly. It was quite clear that the matter held small interest for her. "'Who told you, Grumpy?' she demanded. "'Roper and your mother told me about the supper. You didn't.' "'Well, Nico, you were in such a vile mood last night coming home. "'Who will you dance with tonight?' he asked. "'She glanced round at him rather more alertly. "'Obviously she wondered what was troubling him. "'Members of the company, of course,' she said. "'That doesn't sound very inspiring. "'Rather school treaty, isn't it?' "'This by way of comment, while patting a refractory cushion. "'Nobody from outside?' he went on. "'No.' "'It's only the men in the theatre and the principal ladies.' "'Roper's going,' said Jays. "'Well, Nico, Lal's hardly from outside.' "'And de Castro?' "'Sam, is he really?' "'I'm sure of it, from something I heard him saying just now.' Lily weighed the point judiciously for a second. "'Sam used to finance Carlton. I suppose they reckon him one of us.' Jays plunged his hand into his coat pockets. It was his characteristic gesture when beginning to feel annoyed. Smythe might have extended the compliment to me, he said. He knows how I stand towards you. I'm awfully sorry. I can't help it, she protested. But don't you see? If Roper and DeCastro are asked, there may be others. Oh, dear, she sighed, obviously weary of a trivial discussion, and wholly unaware that Nico's jaws were set in a scowl. "'Some of the more juvenile boys, perhaps,' he muttered. "'I say, Lil, when did you make the acquaintance of the young sprig of nobility who has been here this afternoon?' The girl appeared then to wake up to the fact that there was more in this casual chat than met the eye. "'Lord Farncombe,' she said quietly. Bertie Fulkerson introduced him to me one day not so long ago. "'So he's at your feet now,' came the angry comment. "'Pooh!' cried Lily, turning away disdainfully. "'Oh, you may say pooh as often as you like. He's in front every blessed night. There he sits, row B, three stalls from the end, prompt side. "'You're too entertaining for words. Surely there are a few good-looking girls at the Pandora besides your humble servant.' She was facing him now, and rather inclined to be vexed. A scene was the last thing she had anticipated when he remained in the room after the others had gone. "'Rubbish!' he exclaimed. "'His glass follows you all over the stage. He's infatuated. I watched him talking to you just now.' "'Did you indeed?' Her contemptuous tone stirred him to more outspoken anger, and his clenched hands beat on the back of his chair. "'God in heaven!' he cried. First it's one, and then it's another. All of em chasing you, and I'm powerless.' "'Oh, you're maddening, Nico,' she said despairingly. "'You are positively maddening. The other night it was Stewie Henniage you chose to be jealous of, simply because you'd heard him sounding my praises at Kitani's. You went on so that you almost broke the windows of the car.' I confess I object to Henniage or any man raving about you at the top of his voice in a public place. Jays was inclined to be pompous at such moments, and thus unfortunately dissipated the very atmosphere he was striving to create. Snakes alive, she cried. Why shouldn't Stewie rave about me in a public place if he feels like it? I belong to the public. He might rave about a girl who's a jolly sight less deserving of it as a girl and an artist than I am. Well, he allowed, we'll dismiss Henniage. 
She saw her advantage and pressed it to the uttermost. Yes, exit Stewie and enter somebody else for you to fuss and fume about. This afternoon it's Lord Farncombe, and tomorrow it'll be Lord Tom Noddy, and next day the Marquise Grabal. One would think to hear you that I don't know how to take care of myself or to deal with any boy who loses his head over me. You're growing worse and worse with your jealousy, Nico. Stop it. I'm surprised at you after all these years. It's beginning to fret me, and that's bad for my spirits and bad for me in business. She had wandered to the tea-table and thoughtlessly picked up a piece of bread and butter, which she began to eat. "'And now you're making me spoil my dinner,' she added, though not without a touch of humorous dismay in her voice. "'And you know that's not good for me either, you brute!' Jay sat down heavily, his hands hung loosely between his knees, and he muttered, with an air of utter dejection, "'Oh, Lily, Lily!' "'Yes, oh, Lily, Lily,' she mimicked him. "'Why don't you put me out of my misery?' he said, blurting out the first haphazard words that shaped themselves in his disturbed mind. "'Poison you?' she inquired, munching the bread and butter. "'Marry me.' There, he had done it, and was at once miserably conscious of having burlesque the passion that was consuming him. "'Marry you,' she repeated, with unfeigned wonder, still not taking him seriously. Creeping behind his chair, she drew a pocket-handkerchief from his breast-pocket and wiped her fingers daintily. "'Have you come to tell me you've got some work to do at last?' she went on, cruel in her heedless sarcasm. "'Break the news gently, Nico. The shock might be too great for me.' "'Oh, I'd find a billet soon enough, Lil, if only I had an incentive to hunt for it,' he urged brokenly. "'Incentive! How long is it since I was willing to engage myself to you absolutely, if you could obtain a good secretaryship, or something of the sort? Three thousand a year! The folly of it!' She little dreamed how that unctuous phrase was drumming in his ears. But he was moved to defend himself. Jay's might always be depended on to find a convincing excuse for himself. I, I've no fancy for a beggarly secretaryship, he grunted. She was seized then with an unreasoning anger against him. Why should he, why should any man, think he had a right to spoil a pleasant afternoon in this fashion? She threw the handkerchief to him and turned away. No, she said mercilessly, all you have a fancy for, seemingly, is to loaf about London and worry your unfortunate people. How a man of your age can rest satisfied with your present position passes my dull comprehension. I, I have been a bit slack, he owned. I have been a bit leisurely, but now... He looked up and fancied, which was true, that she was hardly listening. She had gone to the piano and was inhaling the fragrance of the roses Farncombe had sent her. The sense of contrast between the two men was assuredly accountable for the bitter words she flung at Jay's now. Nico, she said, that pendant, or whatever it is you've given me, I don't want to hurt you, but I won't accept it. Please take it away with you, do you hear? Lil he muttered. "'I'm in earnest, horribly in earnest. You'll remove it off my premises.' The very sound of her voice giving a ruthless command in that precise way startled her. She relented instantly, and stole a little nearer to the stricken man in the chair. 
he felt that her stormy mood was yielding, and lifted his head again. "'My eldest brother Bob,' he said, "'has been at me to go to Rhodesia. He wants me to manage a group of stock farms he's interested in, near Bulawayo.' First rate! And why don't you go?' The innocent question cut deeper than she intended. "'Rhodesia! Bulawayo!' he said with a dismal smile. "'Will you come with me?' "'Nico, don't be absurd!' The mere suggestion seemed to alarm her, and Jays, who was no weakling, sprang up and put his hands on her shoulders, exactly as he had done on that memorable day, now so long ago, when first he asked her to marry him. "'You wouldn't care a straw, not a brass farthing, if I did go, would you, Lil?' he asked. She had discussed some such problem with him many times, but his evident suffering softened her. "'Stuff,' she said toying with a button of his waistcoat. I would miss you horribly. Who'd bring me home at night, then, and take me anywhere I want to go? Ah, who, who? His grip tightened, and she winced. Don't, she cried. You'll bruise my skin if you're not careful. He took one of her hands and stroked it gently. Well, it might be that you'd miss me for a while, he said. Miss the old dog you're accustomed to find lying on your doormat. But you don't love me, Lil, not even as much or as little as you did a year ago. You don't love me. She had never seen him in quite such a saddened mood, but she answered candidly with a faint shrug of her shoulders. Perhaps I don't in the way you mean. Perhaps it's not in me to love anybody in a marrying way. Suddenly their eyes met, and her speech faltered. Still, as you say, she began, "'As I say,' he cried, and hope glimmered within him. "'The fact is, I'm accustomed to you, Nickel.' It dawned on him that this was a moment fraught with potentialities. Alas, he had been vouchsafed many, only to spurn them, and he endeavoured to draw her close in his arms. But she wriggled free, and with the self-possessed laugh of a woman who did not know what love meant, put a playful finger on the crown of her head. "'There, you may there,' she cried, stooping while he kissed her hair. "'Now I must run upstairs, or mother will whack me.' Still he hungered for her, and would not release her. "'Won't you allow me to fetch you after the dance?' he said. "'At three or four in the morning? No, dear boy, I'll give you a rest. Uncle Lal or Sam will take on your job. And don't try to see me to-morrow.' "'Why not?' he demanded sharply, ready as ever to probe, to suspect. "'Not till you turn up at night, as usual, I mean,' she explained mischievously. "'I shall be a shocking rag all day.' "'Yes,' he thundered, with an ungovernable access of fury. "'I expect you'll manage to enjoy yourself thoroughly, and dance yourself off your feet, whoever your partners may be.' She tossed her head willfully. "'I expect I shall,' she laughed. Ha <laughs> ha! I'll certainly do my best. And with that she was gone, blissfully ignorant of the fact that this parting shot was destined to fire a mine which would explode at her very feet. For in ordinary circumstances, Jays would not have stooped to any form of deceit or subterfuge, even to counteract the plans of others deterred by no such scruples. But he was aflame with resentment against Roper and De Castro and quivering with a sense of abject failure in the undertaking on which he had built so hopefully. He strode resolutely to the telephone on the writing-table, and placed the receiver to his ear. "'Gerard 3848,' he said. 
while waiting for a response he saw that lily had left the door wide open with a certain furtiveness that seemed oddly out of place in one of his stalwart frame he laid down the receiver crept to the door and closed it then he hurried back to the telephone that the pandora theatre he asked changing his voice with an expertness which would indubitably have amused and surprised lily if she had heard he imitated de castro's lisp if mr marth cooling in i'm mr de castro sam de castro gone if he oh is that you mr hickfin yes you'll do about the supper party to-night that mr smythe is giving to miss paradell i didn't quite understand whether it to be at the theatre or at the restaurant at the theatre oh yes a large party oh that is nice who are the guests do you know yes yes oh and the boys oh some of the boys are coming are they eh you haven't got the list from mr roper yet oh he's been helping to get it up then we shall have a splendid time the boys yes yes <laughs> thanks good-bye replacing the receiver he walked slowly out with bent head and hands clasped behind his back and the expression of his face was that of a man who had plumbed the depths of despair End of chapter eight